had the pleasure, but Robert McGinley is back to talk about his post-apocalyptic skater cult classic Shredder Orpheus, which is making its way back into theatres. Orpheus's journey uh, to the underworld is reworked as a post-apocalyptic skate opera in the 1989 cult classic. The mortal world faces imminent destruction when Hades unleashes an evil television signal, sublimates and kills its viewers. These hypnotic broadcasts from the Euthanasia Broadcast Network are seducing the masses except the skateboarding guitarist Orpheus and his band of shredders who can see through this nefarious scheme. To save the world and his kidnapped wife, Orpheus must penetrate the world of the dead and free the television airwaves. Armed with the futuristic guitar and the skateboard from hell, Orpheus storms the EBN stage to liberate the airwaves and rescue his wife. I'm very glad to have him back. The last time we spoke was Danger Diva. Welcome back, Robert McGinley, to Cinema Union. Good to be here. Thank you for coming back, mate. And uh, it's great to see uh, Shredder Orpheus is uh, is going to be yet again rediscovered by yet another uh, audience. Yeah, it's been um, two or three generations, but the the latest round is uh, the most enthusiastic, I would say. In the uh, press materials, it said the screening was on October 13th. How did that go? Uh, the, yeah, we had a screening uh, last Wednesday, hmm. and uh, we actually uh, sold out the Alamo Draft House Auditorium. And um, next, this coming week, we're screening in Raleigh, North Carolina, right. uh, San Francisco, and um, uh, the initial... Um, uh, you know, uh, audience um, count is strong. I think we've got uh, half the auditorium filled in San Francisco, and we've got a good start on Raleigh. And um, and it, it I, to be honest, I'm amazed at where where are these people coming from? Because I don't think that there's I don't think there's that much advertising. I think this is all within the alternative cinema movement people know about it i'm uh you know fortunate to be able to uh, have a really beautiful soundtrack record uh lp that we packaged with a dvd that um is it's very consistent it, it seems like um it's not big volume by any means but you know we have anywhere from six to twelve units that we sell every month and then a little more for the holiday with Christmas and so forth. We we sell a, a good bit more. Um, every time we have a screening, um, we seem to get um, three or four collectors that want it. So um, it's had a life of its own. And mm-hmm. um, it's um, ironic to me that my first film, which I almost consider like my, my film school, um, is the one that keeps coming back and, and keeps yeah. regenerating itself. It's it's pretty incredible. And and I suppose that back when you were making this and back when it was initially released, you had absolutely no conception that the film would have such an enduring life. You know, I had absolutely no no clue. And um, 
And at the time, um, you know, I was inadvertently challenging what an independent film could be because, you know, I was competing with the, the likes of uh, Spike Lee and She's Gotta Have It and, um, and um, David Moore's films, uh, the documentaries. And, and um, I actually got myself exposed to quite a bit of ridicule. There was a lot of resistance because it was so different number one, but um, uh, we had uh, a really amazing thing. I mean, it was, so we were rejected by, it was made in Seattle again. So the hometown film festival rejected it. Mm. And I think a lot of that was just small town politics. And, you know, sometimes when you're in a smaller regional environment and there's a lot of competition to make a film. I was the first person to actually make a feature film in Seattle. Mm. And so with that was came some um, mostly good things, but uh, so I was rejected from that festival. And then um, uh, I was, I went to um, the landmark theater um, in, um the U district um yeah. called the Neptune and I I I met with the programmer there I just kind of called her up and said you know um I'm interested in wondering if you would like to try and book this and um Ruth Haley the, the woman at the time the programmer said absolutely in fact we need something for Halloween and um so we booked a Halloween date there i think it was halloween 1990 i believe and um i'm thinking well you know they just had three screenings like one in the afternoon one at seven o'clock and one at nine o'clock and i went to the i just thought i would go to the seven o'clock screening and do a little curtain speech whatever mm. i never got to make the curtain speech because i couldn't get in mm. the line was around the block yeah. i mean there was so I mean, and it was a big auditorium. It was like, you know, a seven, 800 seat auditorium and it was packed. Yeah. And so I was pleasantly surprised. Mm. And then um, after that landmark said, well, we'd like to keep going and we'd like to run you as a companion midnight film to Rocky Horror on Friday nights. Would you like to do that? And I said, sure. So it ran for um, the, I think it went for at least nine. Yeah, it was almost, almost nine or 10 months mm. that it was able to stay in the theater. And then, you know, and, and they would get anywhere from 30 to 60 people a night. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I was really, again, pleasantly shocked that, you know, it had, some life to it and then I thought well maybe that's just kind of you know being the hometown kid maybe I've gotten a little lucky that way it's always incredible to think that uh, that's something that you think is I, 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 well I don't know maybe you thought that you know this movie when you first made it okay this I want to make movies this film is going to be my my first my calling card my stepping stone it's not going to be the film that's going to be for lack of a better term 
on my tombstone, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think it's going to be now. <laughs> I think <laughs> for better or worse. You know. But I mean, but I don't. I don't mean that in a bad way either. I mean that in a good way. Like you, you, you always set out in any artistic endeavor, and you think that the early work is going to be, yeah, okay, that's fine. That was me finding my feet. That was me finding my voice. That was me finding my whatever. And then I'm going to move on from that, and and the work is going to change, and I'm going to change, and you know, each each revolution will gather hopefully new fans and followers and such and so forth when you do like an Orson Welles and 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 one of your first uh pictures turns out to be the film that people continually revisit I guess a good question would be now now having sort of lived through the the changes in the industry and and the way we make movies and the way films are distributed yeah Right. Obviously, it would probably be a lot easier as far as lugging gear and all that type of thing because if you've got a phone, you can potentially make a movie with an iPhone, right. thing like that. My, I guess my question is, if you would, if you were doing it all again today, starting from square one today, and you were going to make your Shredder Orpheus today, what do you think you your experience would? If, okay, it, if you have the experience that you have now. In your head, you're going to start off and you're going to make the same kind of film today with today's technology. How do you think you would approach that? Uh, there's uh, it, there's many ways to ask that question and there's many ways to answer it. So uh, right. I'll fumble around for a while. Well, I sure. think here's the, let me start with the unique thing about Shredder Orpheus, which mm. differentiates it from the rest of my work and from most of you know the work that 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 may be considered guerrilla low budget filmmaking mm-hmm. what what the, the key to this really i think comes down to having and basing the film on the orpheus myth mm-hmm. which is the oldest love story in western civilization sure and and so i think um the people who are distributing the film, they came up with a really funny kind of tagline, mm-hmm. which was, what if Jean Cocteau could shred a half pipe? Right. Here, here is Shredder Orpheus. Sure. Okay. So if you've ever seen any of the Cocteau films, hmm. you know, Orfe, and um, I can't remember what the second one was, they're... I was totally, they're totally amazing films and they were really instrumental in, in, uh, as a, as a art school kid, that's what I kind of grew up on was Brunel and, and, and that kind of thing. So, you know, if I were making the film today, Hmm. um, I would, I would think that there wouldn't be a whole lot different except that, um, I'm too long in the tooth to be the title character. Right. We, right. we need we need a young Romeo. Sure. And you know, we need a young Juliet to mm. to do that, you know. Yeah. I think that would be one difference. Yeah. And you know, if if uh the other uh thing would be that is um amazing as it was to make that film then mm. maybe i wouldn't have to 
be in fear of stealing locations all the time and, and, right. and running from the, you know, the fire. Did, did I ever tell you the fire department story? That's a pretty no, good no. one. No, oh, no. well, um, so there is a scene and I'm assuming you've seen it where George uh, Orpheus has gone to the underworld yeah. and he, for the second time and he's not successful. He's, he's being forced into this Eurydice door show game mm -hmm. show environment yeah. at the euthanasia broadcast networks. Mm. Uh, Mel Yu and, and Hades is the host, the ceremonial host. And he says, welcome to the Eurydice door show. And we've got two doors, you know, behind one of them is Eurydice by the, behind the other one is your death. Mm. And so the way it was set up is we have these sliding doors door number one or door number two. So the doors were sliding up and, you know, not to create a spoiler alert, but, mm. um, you know, we have the Furies behind the door. And so we would do a take just to get the Furies door open and the Furies come out in a blaze of smoke. Well, the director of photography that I was using for that sequence had loaned me the equipment and he had these bazooka fogger fog machines. I mean, they looked like weapons. They were big and they were, he had like two or three of them. And so we would do a take and he would look at me and he would go, Robert, we need more smoke. We need what, what no, that didn't work because we just need more smoke. So, okay, let's roll it back to one, you know, lock it up, roll camera, roll sound. Furies come out again. And then he comes up to me and he goes, I said, what's wrong with that? That was good. There was more smoke. Robert, it's not enough smoke. Now, you know where this is going. If you've ever, you know, it's reminiscent of a Saturday Night Live skit. You know, mm. we're talking more cowbell. So after about 20 takes, he's finally okay with it. But in the distance, we hear sirens. Right, yeah. And there is a hook and ladder. There's, there's at least four fire engines wow. blasting down the street. We're shooting in the basement of an old train station that's abandoned. And we had tons of smoke pouring out the windows of the upper stories of the train station. My goodness. And the, the fire chief arrives and he's screaming. He grabs the, the AD comes up. The, the first AD comes up to him and says, I'm sorry, sir. This is, you know, I'm not sure why you're here because we still didn't know what the problem was. Right, right. And... And the, the fire chief goes, who's responsible for this? And the first AD pauses for a moment and he says, well, that it's the guy that's over there naked in the corner. <laughs> so there I was in my loincloth, right? And um, so this was the classic situation where if we had asked for permission. Sure, yeah. No way. Sorry. So to answer your going circling back to your question, maybe sure. we could get permission this time because maybe we would have the budget to get right. permission. Right. So, yeah. 
so you know basically um my first two films were pretty much with stolen locations except for the interiors the exteriors were all stolen and and for shredder um you know if i were to make it again um i i would also uh, enjoy the benefits of technology so mm. so if you have filmmakers that are a part of your audience mm. the shredder was shot two thirds of or about three quarters of it was shot on 16 millimeter mm. and the other quarter was shot on beta sp so all the the euthanasia broadcast network scenes were shot on just you know like a little you know video pack um you know i mean at the time it was the, the state of the art but beta sp yeah, but yeah. it was the, but it was a consumer camera right sure. so we transferred both the beta sp and the 16 to one inch videotape mm. and then it, from there it was cut on one inch tape without the benefit of non-linear editing mm. so we couldn't so true to the shredder orpheus dictum of not being able to look back we couldn't mm. look once we had a cut that was the cut yeah so there's a lot of things that are in shredder that you know you just kind of grown for sophisticated filmmakers out there you know they would say oh wow he got himself trapped in that one or something you know but um so yeah. you know i guess you would have the benefit of that you would have the benefit of having technology that would um really uh help you out there because um you know there's so many films that i've made where you know we really had to um you know go in and and um really remake remake the film i think maybe in a way this was good because if there's certain sections that are a little bit fat in terms of a shot and and how long we hold on it hmm. you know if there's those sort of pregnant pauses if you will hmm. you know um the film still moved pretty fast and and uh, um you know Kathy Schickling the the director or, or excuse me the editor uh she really did a great job of just keeping it moving so I guess those would be my three things that would be different about it today. And then um, I don't think I would change anything about the setting. I, I wouldn't change anything about the the world of the story, the gray zone, the shipping container, homeless. Uh, it it's, it seems okay. there's, there's quite a lot in it that is stra strangely more relevant today. Well, you know, exactly. I think the world caught up to the film Hmm. in many ways because at the time um who would imagine that shipping containers are now used prolifically in exactly. many places hmm. exactly i mean yeah. it's like this it's like the thing that goes around the internet occasionally with the with chris farley you know living in a van down by the river i mean that's called van life now yes exactly oh hey and there would be one more really important change which would be hmm. In those days, it was television that was really occupying consciousness. Mm. And now we have something many, many times more powerful, which is the internet mm. and and um, and the various addictions that we have to social media and all that. And so 
you know, if I were making that film today, certainly that would be a part of it. These kinds of, I mean, this kind of film, this kind of genre has, I mean, do you think, do you think there's, if someone were going to make this kind of, uh, or if you were going to make another kind of rock opera-ish type uh, film today, do you think that the, do you think it, it, I mean, obviously for the, for the, for the cult classics, for Shredder Orpheus, there are still audiences turning up, but if you were going to do something in that style, a new film, not, not, a reboot or a sequel or anything like that, but take the take this uh, take the rock opera style. Do you think that it would? Do you think there'd be an audience today in the in the mixture of since I mean they're taking taking into account there is a glut uh, of of movies. There are so well, many. you know, you, what I try and do is just stay true to my own voice, which hmm. I mean, which is I separated from the pack quite a bit because mm. my stuff is music driven mm. in general both uh danger diva obviously is as well as jimmy zip sure. and um you know i think that that um uh what keeps them what would make it relevant mm. for an audience today i think again is the, relying on some sort of classic um, approaches to storytelling, right? You know, and so for a me, universal a universal hook, yeah. right? And I mean, basically, you what you do, uh, or at least what I like to do is um, after after coming from you know uh, the theater world where you know I did a lot of things that were nonlinear that were sort of mashups. Um, but I came to really appreciate uh, classic storytelling with, and by that I mean uh, Aristotelian story structure, and which is all designed for a catharsis and climax. That So you, you build towards that. So the, the, I'd have a, I, I like to develop characters and and uh, conflicts in the first couple of acts of what I do, and then uh, as you know with Danger Diva as well, you really let it rip in that third act, and then the decisions of the protagonist set things in motion where that becomes a more action-oriented aspect of what I do. Mm. So I, I would say that you know again, Aristotelian story structure is a big part of of the way I think about it. And and uh, the other reference or touchstone for everything I do um, is um, inspired a great deal by Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey, if, if you've ever heard of that. Mm -hmm. but, yeah, so jo Joseph Campbell obviously is one of our best mythologists in, in, in terms of applying it and having it and how iconic stories um, have a relevancy. So, um, you know, with, um, you know, with Orpheus, we have the classic lover. We have the love. We have a guitar skateboard hero, right? Mm. But, but in that context, he's this artist that is so impressed 
the world and the gods that he was allowed to go to the underworld and be able to go through that whole journey of of confronting the Cerebus three-headed dog. And, and oh, before that, he goes to the Oracle and he has um, this tarot electronic video tarot card reading. Go to the river, you'll find out what's there. And he there, he, of course, he he gets the the um the delivery vehicle for his journey which is the skateboard from the euthanasia broadcast network so that's the, the board he's going to ride that's the board he's going to ride to hell um yeah. th- then he goes and you know he is confronted by uh hades when he actually gets down there and yeah. and uh he performs on the show and he does so he has all these sort of different steps and and so true to the orpheus myth um you know uh, orpheus has to deal with the, the three-headed dog he also has to cross the river sticks and and uh, he plays his lyre to entice the the uh the um river boatman uh, sharon to, to cross the river he goes through this whole journey to the underworld and so there's something very iconic just about that process and so for me um as way of background shredder orpheus was manifested for me because i was with a pack of guys that would skateboard in downtown seattle office buildings that would be 15 16 stories high we'd jump out of the elevator we'd go screaming down and having just a riot of a time and i'm going yeah, man, this is like skateboarding to hell, you know. Inventively, we'd have to dodge the police or the security. and But the rush of that was unbelievable. And at the time, I was immersed in uh, uh, Joseph Campbell, and I was really, you know, becoming a serious student of mythology. And so that's where the skateboards and Greek mythology kind of, had that intersection for me and it's so and it's still uh it's still playing well for uh, yeah for audiences uh in in theaters which is an absolute absolute wonderful thing to see i um i still have my vhs copy so one day if we ever actually physically bump into one another i'm and and someone lays a vhs copy in front of you to autograph it's probably going to be me because i still have my uh <laughs> Well, I can also update you, hopefully, with the LP, DVD, or Blu-ray. Sure, tell us. Tell us all. Actually, what I'd love to do is come to Australia and screen Mm. it in a theater. That's what we should do. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. We actually, actually, a lot of people don't know, we actually have a huge skateboard culture um, here in in Australia. There there is quite a huge uh, skateboard culture. always has been. Not as Excellent. popular as uh, surfing, obviously, because we're a, we're an island, and, and uh, mostly uh, mostly people uh, we're, we're known for our surfers more than our skateboarders. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. that definitely sounds like a plan. So yeah, we bump into each other. But yeah, tell us uh, tell all our listeners, mate, where uh, where they can get the uh, DVD, LP, Blu-ray. Oh, for, for sure. Um, yeah, if you go to uh, www.boomcult.com 
and it's all there. You can also just Google my name and eventually you'll you'll get it there. Um, but boomcult.com and um, you can also um, you know sign right you can also contact me off the website too if you have any questions. Awesome. And the website is where again? Um, the website is, well, I guess it, it would be considered a domestic U.S. website, right? Right. Yeah. Yes. Is that important to um, your listeners? And sure. That? Yeah. Boom. Boom. What is it? www.boomcult.com. Yes. W- B-O-O-M. B-O-O-M-C-U-L-T.com. L-T.com. That's www.boomcult.com. Boom cult, b o double m c u l t dot com, boomcult dot com, to uh, to get your hands. If you have not experienced this film, if you did not grow up with it, if you weren't around in nineteen eighty nine to experience the uh, the cult classic, of course it does wasn't a cult classic then. It's become a cult classic since we're great. Uh, we're we're very very grateful here at Cinema Yugen to finally. Um, have my guest Robert C. McGinley on the new show. It's great to talk to him again since uh, Danger Diva, and it is fantastic to see Shredder Orpheus, the 1989 cult classic, still out there in theaters. And yeah, Robert, we should really look into getting a screening of that here down under, mate. I really think that uh, it could go well. I'd like to come, it'd be awesome. www.boomcult.com dot com to uh to get a hold of your slice of shredder obvious to get yourself uh the cool guitar and the skateboard to ride all the way into hell it is the best of ancient greek literature combined with the awesomeness of shredding and skateboarding it is Shredder Orpheus. My guest has been Robert McGinley. Robert, thank you for being on Cinema Yugen. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming back. That's www.boomcult.com for Shredder Orpheus. Check it all out. And thank you for listening to Cinema